honor our national bishop, Bishop Wayman Ming, as he comes and delivers us the word. Come on, I want you to really let him know how much you love him and appreciate him. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you this morning, and especially on Father's Day, and I think you would want to join with me in celebrating a brand new father, your pastor, today on Father's Day. I do want to say a few words about Father's Day. Um, The most difficult job uh, for our understanding of of manhood is his being and living as a father. You know, there are things that you can turn off um, that that don't last 24-7. Hopefully at work you can go uh, work diligently and then turn off work. There are things that you turn on and off, but being a father is 24-7. You don't turn off being a father. I was so blessed this morning because I saw so many uh, men passionately worshiping God, even coming across the front and worshiping the Lord. Those who are passionate for God, men, as you grow in your passion for God, it will impact and affect uh, your families and those around you. Um, often, uh, your impact as a father affects your family at different ages. I, I have to share this with you. My, my daughter is here with me, and I honor her today. I'm so glad to be with my girls. I love you both. And my kids who are watching online, my two sons and their wives, uh, I so uh, love you so much. But let me just share this. At age four, my daddy can do anything. At age seven, my daddy knows a lot. At age 12, my dad doesn't know everything. At age 16, my dad is old school. At age 21, my dad is hopelessly out of touch. At age 25, my dad isn't as far out there as I thought. At age 30, my dad usually has some good advice. At age 40, my dad knows just about everything. At age 50, I wonder what my dad would have said. At age 60, I wish I could talk to my dad one more time. So our our dads impact us at different stages of life. And we recognize that their impact resonates on and on and on. I'm not going to share a typical Father's Day message with you this morning. In fact, I'm going to preach on two women. How about that? But I don't think that I could do anything that's more impactful for you fathers today than to challenge you to go deeper in God. And I want to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 24. 
We're going to look at these two passages of Scripture together. John 4, Genesis 24. While you're turning there, I I do want to say I have uh, the book that I wrote during our cultural chaos, during the pandemic, out in the lobby. It's called Nearer to God. And uh, during the midst of all the struggles that we all face, I felt like the Lord spoke to my spirit and say the greatest challenge facing the world is not social distancing, but spiritual distancing. And that our challenge as God's people is, is drawing near to God. And this book is filled with a practical study of how to do that. How do you draw near to God? How do you hear the voice of God? How do you reject your inner Judas and reflect your inner Jesus? Because Our carnal nature will constantly fight against our spiritual nature and we will have to make decisions that will help us to cultivate the depth of our relationship with Him. That drawing near to God is intentional, it is purposeful, and it is something that we must do continually to narrow the gap in our relationship with God. And so I want to encourage you to go back and get a copy of the book in the lobby. The first three chapters introduce you to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because we won't draw near to God unless we know Him as all three. Some of us know Him a little bit more as Father than we do as Son. Some of us know Him a little bit more as Son than Holy Spirit. But the depth of the sovereignty of God awakens in our spirits when we know Him as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, all three in one. And when we're introduced to Him and develop our relationship with the three parts of God, the tripartite being of God, something awakens within us. Today, I want to ask you to look at John chapter 4, beginning at verse number 5. So Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.'" For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Genesis chapter 24, verse number 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at the evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, 
O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by a well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman, a woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. If I were giving you a practical title to the message today, I would title it, Going Deeper in God. Going Deeper in God. If I were to give you a nice biblical title, I would title it this way, Drink and I'll Water Your Camels Also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us today how to go deeper in you. God, today I don't want to preach with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the power of your Holy Spirit, do what you're famous for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If this were a a dramatic presentation this morning, we would have the backdrop of a well in Samaria here on this side of the stage from John chapter 4. And then the backdrop of a well in Mesopotamia, near that town of Nahor, here on this side of the stage, we would have two wells, two backdrops, two distinct regions that something took place at the well. And of course, as we just read in John chapter 4, it's a very familiar passage of a woman of Samaria at the well, and I don't really have to go into a deep dive of the context because it's familiar to many of us here today. This woman of Samaria comes to the well about noon, and of course the Samaritans and the Jews don't get along. The Jews literally hate the Samaritans because they have married into other cultures, and and so the Jews hate their racial impurity. And they have separated and ostracized the Jews. And so there would be no chance. It would be almost impossible for a Jewish man to be speaking to a Samaritan woman, let alone someone who is known for adultery, having five husbands, living with another man who has come out probably about a half a mile from the town and she is getting water at the noon hour because that's the time when no one else would get water because she did not want to be around others because of her reputation. And yet here is Jesus the holiest man that ever walked the earth, 
having a conversation with this woman, the whosoever will of the world, and displaying only the love that a great God himself can display. And he, interestingly enough, asked her for a drink. And he says, would you give me a drink of water? And yet, he's not really there to receive a drink. He's there to give a drink to this woman. And he says to her, if you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would be asking me for a drink. And there is this tremendous exchange. And in that one statement, Jesus literally puts out a call to her to go deeper. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write that down. The call to go deeper. Come on, write it down. Or someone say this after me, the call to go deeper. Say it one more time, the call to go deeper. You've got to hear what you've said to see what you've heard. One more time, the call to go deeper. I, I believe the greatest need in the church today is the need to go deeper in God. To drink from the well of water. The well of God's presence. I, I might be overstating it. In fact, this may be an oversimplification. But is not the church the place where we should encounter God? It's not this the place that God's presence should show up. Is this not the place that we should be setting in our chairs with such expectation, believing that our great God himself is getting ready to show up in our midst. Should not this be the place where we are expecting to drink from a well of water and a well of God's presence? I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that we have learned yet to linger in his presence. That we have learned to purposefully and intentionally go after God. I know that, that I'm the one that's doing the talking today. But maybe I'm not really the one who's doing the talking today. <laughs> because the word says if anyone speaks, let him speak as an oracle of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as of the ability that God gives. That God in all things may be glorified to whom be glory and power forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I come to church to hear a word from God. 
I come to church to hear his voice, to experience his presence. And, and I don't think that I'm going out on a limb here by saying that this church is a special place, that, that your pastor who, or whoever fills the pulpit of this church, they're not just a speaker of truth, but a conveyor of his presence. Do you hear what I'm saying? There is no greater testimony that you could give to your spouse or to your family or to the world that you live in than the affirmation that God's presence is with you. There is no greater testimony that I could give to my wife or my family or the world that I live that I'm not just a speaker of truth but I am a conveyor of his presence that his presence abides with me that his anointing rests upon me that God is not just with me in the midst of the church house but he is with me every moment of every minute of every day of every every week that I am going deeper with God, that I'm desiring to take a drink of the well of his presence. I'm feeling a little tipsy this morning, and it's not because I've been drinking from a bottle, but I've been drinking from the presence of an almighty God, and his presence is with me in this place. And yet I'm not so sure that that the body of Christ really understands what it means to go deeper because we don't understand prayer. Prayer, the very tool that is used to help us to go deeper in God has become nothing more, according to one survey that I read, as a four-minute rush into the presence of God every day. The average North American Christian spends four minutes every day in prayer. I read the statistic that said that 92% of North American Christians are casual and crisis prayers. Which means about the only time they pray is when they're talking to their plate casual prayer, or they're talking about their pain. They're in the midst of a crisis. So they rush in four minutes to petition God for all the the struggles and the trials that they're going through at the moment, just like a, a microwave experience. They rush into the presence of God and petition God about everything they want and and punch on the ATM God machine to to try to uh, manipulate or manufacture what they need from God, never understanding that prayer is not about petitioning God, it's about positioning yourself in God. Only 8%. Of North American Christians, according to this survey, have learned that that prayer is abiding in his presence. Communing 
in his presence. Not rushing in. For us, it's about microwaving. For God, it's about marinating. Just learning to linger. Just learning to wait upon God. I mean, even in our churches today, we've defaulted to altar calls rather than altar services. (laughs) Because we haven't learned how to wait upon God and spend time in the presence of God. There's something about learning to go deeper in God. Larnell Harris used to sing the song. I loved it so much. I miss my time with you. Those moments together. I want to be with you more each day. And it hurts me when you say you're too busy trying to serve me. But how can you serve me when your spirit's empty? There's a longing in my heart wanting more than just a part of you. It's true. I miss my time with you. And he was singing that not as himself. He was singing that as God the Father. God saying, I miss my time with you. Those moments together. Just being with you. Just spending time with you. Is there anyone who understands what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman? If you know who it is who is talking to you, you would be asking me for a drink of water. Is there anybody else in the house who gets bored? of rushing into his presence four minutes a day? Is there anybody else in the house who gets bored of microwave encounters and experiences? Anybody else who gets bored of using prayer as an acquisition for temporary answerables? Anybody in the house that gets bored of turning the spirit switch on during parts of the week and turning the spirit switch off during other parts of the week? Is there anybody who gets bored in operating with your own human energy to try to get through the week rather than the divine power of God? If you knew who it was who talked to you, you would be asking him for a drink. Jesus looks at the woman and he says to her, you're you're trying to get a drink out of that water pot. You don't know what you worship. But I'm here to give you water that will spring forth out of your belly as living water to eternal life. And she leaves her water pot behind and she runs into the city and she says, come see a man. Not come see an environment. 
Not come see a well. Not come see good ministry and music or good facilities and fellowship. Come see a man who transformed my life. Somebody say the call to go deeper. Would you say the call to go deeper? Second thing I want you to write down is the cost to go deeper. I think part of the challenge has to do with convenience. For some reason, I think as Christians, we can easily get stuck in this rut of convenience, conveniently reading our Bible, conveniently praying, conveniently going to church. It's important to go to church. It's extremely important to go to church. But the end all is not going to church. It's going to Christ. And we, we end up in this rut of convenience. And I've said this to this, this congregation before. You know, just because you're in a barn doesn't make you a donkey. Just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you stick your head in an oven doesn't make you a chocolate cake. Just because you're at McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. Just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian. I've often thought, Aldai, I've often thought what it would be like to bring the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant back into the 21st century church. Have you ever thought of that? What would happen if we brought the Ark of the Covenant in and we we set it right here, Pastor, in front of the pulpit? If you've ever studied the Ark of the Covenant, it's just an enormous, it's a beautiful piece of furniture overlaid with gold. And you have the two cherubims with their wings outstretched, shadowing the mercy seat. And it It's an amazing piece of furniture. And in the Old Testament, the children of Israel took it everywhere because it symbolized the presence of God. So what would happen if we brought that Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, we stuck it right here in our 21st century sanctuary, and we just said, you know, we want everybody to come by and touch it. You know, there was this guy named Uzzah in the Bible and he touched it and he died. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be interesting before we have the closing benediction just to say, you know what, we're going to have everyone come by. We're really going to see who's right with God. If we see you at Chili's, great. If we don't, At least we would know who's going to heaven and who's going to the other place. But it would cost something to touch the Ark of the Covenant because it would be an acknowledgement that you are in right standing with God. Maybe we need to talk about cost when it comes to the other well in Mesopotamia. Because here, Abraham's servant comes and he has his ten camels. And he comes to the well 
And his master Abraham has sent him there to get a wife for Isaac, for Abraham's son. So being the obedient steward that he is, he comes and he prays an interesting prayer. He says, God, the woman who comes to the well that doesn't just give me a drink, but says, drink and I'll water your camels also. God, that's the one that I know you have chosen for my master's son to be his wife. Listen to what happens in Genesis chapter 24, verse 15. I believe we have it up in the screen, on the screen. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink from your pitcher. So she said, drink my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. Until, don't miss it, they have finished drinking. Not just going to give them a drink. I'm going to give them enough water until they're completely filled. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. Isn't it interesting, at the first well, the woman left her water pot behind, but at the second well, this woman picked up her water pot. And she used it. Because there will be times in our lives when we will need to leave the old water pots behind, the old ways of doing things behind. But then there will be other times when we'll have to pick up our water pot, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and use them for the glory of God. And she picks up her pitcher and she runs over to the well to begin watering the camels. And we can, we can pass right by that never understanding the cost that she had just committed herself to because every camel would drink 25 gallons of water. So when she had committed to giving those 10 camels a drink, she had committed to serving them 250 gallons of water. Do you know how much 250 gallons of water is? It's a ton. It's literally a ton of water. She had made the commitment to give those camels a ton of water. Every gallon is 8.3 pounds, around 8 
around eight pounds a gallon. So how big was her pitcher? How, how much water she, could she carry at one time? How, how big was it? Was it, was it a five-gallon pitcher? Let's just surmise that it was a five-gallon pitcher. That means five gallons of water, eight pounds a gallon, is 40 pounds. Maybe it wasn't five gallons. Maybe it was three gallons. So now she's carrying 25 pounds of water. We, we don't know, but what we do know is that whether it was a three-gallon or five-gallon pitcher, she still had to carry 2,000 pounds of water, a ton. How long did it take her? This was the, this was the busiest time of the day. All the women were out there drawing from the well. You had to come out with your own pitcher, And if someone didn't have a rope, you had to have your own rope, tie the rope on. So here she is, she comes over, she she dips the, the pitcher down into the well, and she gets it, and and she runs over to begin to give these camels a drink. How how long would it take for just one trip of three gallons or Five gallons of water. I mean, she has to deliver a ton of water here. 250 gallons. 60 seconds. Two minutes. Three minutes for every time she would come over and get the water and run over to where the camels are and pour it in the trough to give the camels to drink. Do you you understand that she literally committed herself to possibly two, three, four hours? Three hours. Four hours. Because it cost her something. I, I I can imagine. I can see her. Because she had such a relationship with God that this was the very one that God had chosen. Abraham's servant there wasn't just for anyone. He said, I, I, want, the, I want the girl who is willing to do something that cost. Who's willing to commit to two, three, four hours of her time just to serve the camels. That's, that's the, that's the girl that I'm going to develop a deeper relationship with. And, and so here she is and she's running over and I can just see her going over. And while she's spending all that time getting the water, she's just worshiping God, of course, in her own way. But, but here, if we were worshiping, she would be singing something like, I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for you. I need your touch. I seek your face. I need your presence. I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for you. 
I need your touch. I seek your face. I need your presence. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether worthy, altogether lovely, altogether wonderful to me. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. Cost her something to go deeper. What she didn't know is the camels that she was giving a drink to weren't just Abraham's camels, they were hers. Because they were her inheritance. She was just serving because of great cost and not out of convenience, never understanding that the very one she was serving God was preparing to use to even bless her. Do you know when you serve God at great cost, he's preparing your inheritance for you. He's preparing your blessing for you. And it's not that we are serving and carrying the water because we understand that the camels belong to us. It's just how good and how great our God is. He will be in debt to no one. And every hour that we serve and give to God, He will abundantly bless And I have to quickly 
conclude with the last idea because if there's a call to go deeper and a cost to go deeper to do it, you're going to have to have courage to go deeper. The woman who was carrying that water pot had to have the courage to give all of those hours without even being asked. The woman at the well of Samaria had to have the courage to run back into town with her reputation tattered and still be able to declare, come see a man who transformed my life. You will have to have courage to go deeper because sometimes we want to fit God in this nice little pitcher of our own, our nice little clay pot of what God will and will not do in our lives. And we think we have them all figured out. Well, God wouldn't do that. We think we have him figured out. God wouldn't, God wouldn't breathe on the disciples to be filled with the Holy Ghost. God wouldn't put mud on a man's eyes. God wouldn't tell Ezekiel to lay down on his side for 390 days. God wouldn't tell Isaiah to walk around naked for three years. God wouldn't do that. And just like Isaiah's wife will say, Isaiah, put on some clothes. Well, God God wouldn't tell you to do that. Well, here's the problem. To say what God will and won't do, or what God won't do, you almost have to know everything God will do. And the only way that can happen is if we're God. God always loves to change our mind skin. And I know I could have said wine skin, but our wine skin's really our mind skin. It's how we think about God. And when you begin to go deeper in God, He will start changing your mind skin. You will have to have the courage to allow God to put something back in your picture of His sovereignty that you may not even understand or know. It's like the example of the two guys walking through the woods and they come on this hole and it's a mine. And they both look at each other and say, look at this mine. And they run over and grab a pebble and throw the the pebble in the hole. And listen, they don't hear anything. So then they go over and pick up a boulder and they bring it over and they drop it in the hole and listen in this mine shaft, they don't hear anything. Finally, they see a railroad tie and they run over and get the railroad tie and they heavily carry it over to the hole and they dump the railroad tie into the hole and all of a sudden after that, this goat comes running and jumps in the hole. Did you see that? That goat just jumped in the hole. About two minutes later, this farmer comes walking up and says, have you seen my goat? And they said, yeah. He just jumped in the hole. 
Farmer said, you're crazy. That's impossible. He was tied to a railroad tie. Do you understand that sometimes we're standing, this is where I stand. And we don't understand that God has tied a rope around our ankle and he's inching the railroad track, the railroad tie toward the hole. Here's what I believe, that God always is preparing us to go deeper. whether we see it or not. And every time I ask God to take me deeper, Pastor, He wrecks me. He throws something else in the the bag, in the pot. He wrecks me and I start doing crazy things like strengthening my marriage. And being a better father. And having a burden to love people more than I ever have before. He starts doing crazy things like rebaptizing me in his Holy Spirit and giving me a brand new spiritual language. So when I was speaking, all of a sudden, it's rojo sotoko. Oh, oh, este me ikabahasa. And he rebaptizes me, gives me a whole different spiritual life. He wrecks me. You have to have courage to be wrecked. Because physically, When you're growing up, it all looks fast, doesn't it? When you grow from a baby to a toddler, wow. Toddler to elementary age, the physical changes, wow. Elementary age to teenager, double wow. Teenager to an adult, wow. But then all of a sudden, outside of getting rounder and a few more wrinkles, It's no longer wow. There's not as much change going on. Somebody said, yeah, I I remember when I first became a Christian. Man, I was a baby growing as a toddler into elementary age, into a young... It was God was doing such amazing things in my life. It was just blowing up. God was so amazing. And, And now I've been serving the Lord for all these years and... I'm just noticing the wrinkles. As spiritual adults, you have to work. We have to work at going deeper. Because it's not as easy as it was when we were babies or toddlers. But I'm talking to somebody today who needs to have courage to go deeper. God's calling to go deeper. But God, you don't understand. Look at all those camels. I I don't know if I can pay the cost. 
God says, drink and I'll water your camels also. But God, you don't understand. I mean, I've, I'm a Samaritan woman. I'm not worthy. Nobody even recognizes me. I don't have a reputation. No, you don't understand. If you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would ask for a drink from me. There's a call to go deeper that cost and must have courage. Courage. 